This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show! everyone and welcome to Podcast of a Thousand Holes. My name is Mike and here with me today is the uh, promoter of Limitless Wrestling, which I talk about a lot on this show, uh, Randy Carver. Randy, how you doing today? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I uh, just got out of work and I'm looking forward to going to bed when we're done talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like a good plan. Yes, but it's going to be hot, like 90 today, so it's not going to be fun sleeping either. It's nuts. It's already hot right now. It was snowing Sunday, like yeah, 50 miles north of me uh, in Rangeley. Yeah. You know, like a plowable amount of snow. And today, Thursday, it's 90 degrees. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm looking at the thermostat right now. It says 81. Yeah, I, I I think we've managed to hit all four seasons in the last five days. <laughs> That's usually how it goes when we go from spring to summer. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit ridiculous sometimes. So anyhow, yeah. Randy, like I said, you're the promoter of Limitless Wrestling. i got to say this. You're 20, right? Yes, I am. That is crazy. You promoted your first show September 2015. Yeah. And so you're 18, and, like, to me that's amazing because, like... I uh, appreciate that. When I was 18... You know, I, I just graduated high school, like, you know, th- a month before or whatever. The last thing I was thinking is, like, I'm going to take a risk and try to promote a wrestling show. So, because <laughs> <laughs> to me, I even look at it now, like, it's like, it's such a financial risk because if people don't show up, I mean, you're, you're it's on you. Right, exactly. So, my question is this, like, what... How did you get into to the point where at 18 you could contact people and to have and, and book them for shows? I mean, where, where did you get your start in wrestling? Uh, well, I was lucky enough to like have some real good contacts that I made through the state of Maine, so I could travel around, ring announce, and just meet new people, see new people. Um, and I had this idea, you know, probably a year, year and a half before we it actually came to fruition. So. I knew that I wanted to figure out what I wanted to use for a roster. I know I wanted to make it different than anything that was going on here. So yep. you kind of travel around, you make contacts, and then you you figure out what you want to do. But for my start, I got my start uh, a couple years before that. It was, I want to say it was my sophomore summer in high school. So it must have been like 2013. Um, I started doing ring crew for IWE, yep. which was based out of Brewer. And yep. then... Uh, a couple months later, they needed a ring announcer, and it just kind of fell into place. So after IWE, I mean, if I remember correctly, like, how did you get, like, you started ring announcing down in, like, Connecticut, didn't you? Yeah. So that was a lot thanks to Johnny Torres, actually, because okay. uh, he started booking for Paragon League Wrestling. Yep. Um, so when he started doing that, uh, he brought me down as a ring announcer, and that was my first experience outside of Maine. And then through that, I ended up getting booked for T1 Wrestling in New York, uh, a couple different promotions in Massachusetts. So 
once the end of 2014, early 2015 came around, uh, I was traveling around to uh, numerous different states. Uh, I had, I think, three different states per month that I was hitting regularly, which is pretty neat for a ring announcer because uh, usually you see them grounded, you know, in a certain state or a certain area, like yep. within a state, because, you know, most promotions have their own ring announcers. So it was really cool for me to be able to do that and meet a lot of different people. Of guys in New England that travel around ring announcing, there's only, like, really two others I can think of. Bobby Cruz and Rich Palladino. Yep. Yes, exactly. So that's... that's uh, the only other one I know of that, like, Matthew James, who's the Blitzkrieg ring announcer, he does most every other show that Rich doesn't do in, like, the Mass, Connecticut area. Okay, all right. So that's pretty impressive. And let's just step back for a second. I, I, I hate to put an age on things, but you're like 15, 16, traveling to Connecticut, New York, to do ring announcing. <clears throat> yeah. So, like, how, how, you get, weird. how you get down there <laughs> when uh, you don't have a license? So legit, uh, the first couple of shows, I had to beg my mom to take me because I didn't actually have a license. Yeah. Uh, I had my permit, so obviously you can't drive, like, out of state on your own. You have a lot of restrictions, so... Uh, the first, like, I don't know, I'd say four or five, uh, she drove me to. And then once I got my actual license, uh, and didn't have any restrictions, uh, I was lucky enough to get a car very early. So it was just, I would get a bunch of wrestlers together, um, and try to pitch these car loads to promotions. So it wasn't just me traveling alone and usually it would work. So it would be myself. Uh, I know a lot of them, it was myself, Ace Romero, um, now it's, uh, a lot of like danger kid, Aiden Agro and Alexander Lee. We all travel together. Sometimes Eric Greenleaf too. Yep. And, uh, we just got these car loads together, uh, you know, when I was 16 and then from years past that to just make it affordable for us. And then it was just a lot of fun road trips going wherever. Now, obviously you were a wrestling fan growing up. Oh yeah. So like, what's your first, like memory of wrestling uh this is always funny because like everyone i talk to they have such a like distinct early memory i don't either do i um i uh like i bought i watched wrestling when i was real young and then i had a couple figures and then i kind of fell out of it and then my first actual memory of sitting down and watching a show was the 2010 royal rumble um, before that, like, I remember, um, when Trevor Murdoch and Lance Cade won the tag titles and that's, yeah. <laughs> so I was watching around that like 2007 to 2010 period, but I don't have any distinct memories till the 2010 rumble. Do you, um, did your parents watch wrestling, your mom or your dad? <laughs> no, uh, it was actually like a big mistake that I ever really watched the 2010 rumble because I borrowed a DVD from one of my buddies and the DVD was in the wrong case, so I got disc two of the Royal Rumble. <laughs> um, and that's, <laughs> I put that in because, like, I didn't, like, I didn't love wrestling yet, but I, yep. like, didn't seek it out. So I, I put that in, and that's kind of what sparked it for me. And then uh, from there, uh, I, like, I watched a lot of WWE when I could, but it was, like, a lot of impact because they had the impact rerun on Sunday mornings. So I would throw that impact rerun on on Spike like every Sunday morning. So 
2010 to like 2012, I was watching like a shit ton of wrestling through that rerun and then whatever I could find on TV. I'm kind of in the same. <clears throat> I, I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't remember what I ever saw first. It's just always been there because my dad was a wrestling fan, so like he would we would rent the tapes. Um, right and whatnot. My first like big event I remember watching live was WrestleMania four on pay per view. Um, okay. But like he used to run all the tapes, so I, I don't have that moment either where I was just like, oh, I watched, you know, Chief J Strongbow and and you know lost my shit for him and you know what I mean. Like I right. don't, I don't have that either. So I'm I'm there with you. I find it hilarious that you say your mom and dad uh, weren't wrestling fans because like they're at every Limitless show. I mean, oh, yeah. You know? Well, like, I kind of transformed my mom. Like, she likes wrestling a lot now. Like, yep. And even Dad, like, he will, uh, <clears throat> whenever Raw was taping in the kitchen, like, he would sit out there and watch it. As much as he, like, bitched about them all being taped, he would watch it. So, yeah. Um, they, uh, they actually enjoy the shows. Like, they go to Limitless, and then my mom used to go to Beyond shows with me sometimes. Yes, but, I've actually seen um, photos. <laughs> Yeah, and and she's like, she's actually more of an independent wrestling fan because yeah. she thinks it's real cool how it's done. Um, Dad's still not huge in anything, but he has a good time when he's at the shows. They they're a great help because they um they do the doors, they run the merchandise, and it's shit that you know I, I wouldn't trust you know just anyone doing that. Oh, so no, it's, it's perfect kind of how that works out. No, it's 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 awesome. Like it's it's really cool. Like I, I've talked about it with Roy and Mikey and others and everything as well. Like it's the fact that you know, like you're you're running this promotion, kick-ass promotion, by the way. I can't say that enough. Thank and you. then like you know, your your mom and dad are there supporting you like a thousand percent and helping out. You know, yeah, that's awesome. It's crazy because not every not every kid would get that, so it's it's very cool to have. Yeah, no, that's that's really really cool. So when did you first find out about independent wrestling? Uh, it was like late summer 2008 because I saw a poster, uh, I remember it like distinctly, I was leaving the YMCA and, uh, I saw a poster hung up that had Doink the Clown on it and I knew that he was like, I knew he was like a wrestler. So like by the promo picture, so I'm like, what the hell is this? And it was, uh, it was a poster for a NAWA show. Yep. Uh, I think it was September of 2008, but the show had happened like two days previous. Ah. So I'm like, shit. <laughs> and, uh, I took the poster regardless cause it had a website on it. And then I kept, you know, the, the website wasn't updated for like another week and a half. So I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. And finally it updated and with a new poster and I just had to really convince my mom to take me to the next one. But that ended up being the, my first show, which was uh, October of 08 for an NAWA show, my first independent wrestling show. Was that down in Fairfield? Was, uh, no, it was actually right in Brewer. Right in Brewer uh, okay. It was when they had been running Brewer for about a year at that point, from yep. what I understand. Um, and that was actually one of the last NAWA shows from that period because they that ended up switching over to IWE in January of the next year. So. Yeah. Did you even know independent wrestling existed prior to seeing that poster? I had no clue because I I had an idea because I want to say that I had seen a documentary that WWE had put out where somebody touched on it. But when you don't know about it and somebody says something, it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. Yep. Um, 
but I had gone to I had gone to a WWE event in like June or July when they, whenever they came to Bangor uh, in like 2008. Yeah. Um, and that had hooked me on the live experience of a pro wrestling show. So when I found that poster, like I still didn't even know what we were going to see because you know what you have a one track kind of WWE mind at that yep. point. So, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was <clears throat> it was much different. Like I didn't know what to expect, but it was awesome. So when you uh, when you started going to independent shows, like did you then just start finding like you know that there's more independent leagues and and everything around that way? Yeah, and, and pretty quickly actually, because what I did was I at the first show I took a poster and I wrote down everybody's names who was wrestling. Yep. And uh, I went home and I searched them all out and tried to, and I found like, I found some database of, you know, wrestling, like, uh, like I would resemble it to like a cage match.com or whatever that is. Oh, that cage, cage match.net. Yeah. Okay. Was it the New England yeah, independent? It could, it, I have no idea. There um, used to be a website. This... There used to be a website called the New England independent it kind of phased out around that time. I want to say, and that would cover yep. all the shows in New England. You can still find it on the Wayback Machine. It's pretty neat, actually. And that would like tell it you all the could up- have been that. huh? It definitely could have been that. Yeah, but anyway, um, so go ahead. I, yeah, I have no idea what it was, but I found this database where I found most of the wrestlers on there, and then I saw like that they were wrestling in different towns, like in Maine or in. Uh, that's how I found out about the Milo shows that NAWA was doing. Yeah. Um, they were doing like I just saw these different towns they were wrestling in, different people. So from that database, I found NWA on Fire, NECW, um, and then eventually through that database, I found Ring of Honor, which is when either just around when they started or a little after when they started broadcasting on HDNet. Okay. Yeah. So I and then I ended up finding that channel. So that I started watching Ring of Honor uh, probably a couple months after attending that show because you just kind of put the pieces together when you find all this stuff. But, um, I got immersed in it real quick because I was just very interested in how this worked. And especially because like the rosters weren't the same for each show. Right. So you find new people every time. And it was very interesting to like look them up, see where they've wrestled, uh, get some kind of knowledge about them and then find other people. Yeah, I know for me, like, um, there's been a lot of different independent groups in Maine, and I'm not disparaging any of them when I say this, but a lot of the times, like, a new group will start up, and it's the same guys with a different name, or different, you know, different three-letter combination, four-letter combination, and it's the same core group of guys, and so it always just, like, and then, you know, and again, I'm not being disparaging by any means, but, like, it, it, it is what it is, you know, it's... Yeah. And then, like, I would sit there and I would watch, like, I would see, like, you know, like you have PWG in California, which is like a super indie, you know, and you have uh, Ring of Honor, which I don't even know if you can call Ring of Honor super indie anymore because of, I mean, it's it's like one, it's like, I don't know. If you were to put I mean, them they're in number they're number three, so I don't know. I, I don't know. If you were to put them in order, I, I think between Impact and ROH, if you're looking at United States leagues, they they switch back and forth, kind of. Um, but 
you know, you like for instance today you have PWG, like I said, it's a super indie. You have like AIW, you have Russell Circus, you have Evolve, you know, and then you have like Beyond. And I was always like, why can't we get something like that here? Why can't, why can't we get something right. like that in Maine? Because like it's possible, I guess. Um, and then now we have Limitless, which you know you're bringing in great guys, top top names. Uh, they're putting on awesome shows. Uh, I mean, awesome matches. You're putting on hell of a shows. And, like, for me, like, when I go to an indie show, I usually go with the expectation of I'm paying 10 bucks to get in or 12 bucks to get in. There'll be five, six, seven, eight matches on the card. If I get one good match, it was worth my money. That, right. that was my level of expectation when I was going to, like, indie shows, no matter where it was. And then now with, yeah. like, like, Limitless, like, when Mikey and I talk about it, and again, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass by any means, but it's just like I'm going to get one lesser match, I guess, or one not good match out of the ten that are on the show, and even that match is going to be a great match, probably. <laughs> I appreciate that, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. And so the other thing I always had, too, was like, and I don't know if it's me being a negative person, but like, a lot of times you'll see a quote-unquote headliner come in, and I'm just going to say his name. I don't care. Jimmy Jacobs was the one that really sold it home for me. Uh, uh, Champ Matthews had ran a show in Fairfield. He had Jimmy Jacobs on the card. I don't know if you were there for that one or not. I remember it. Yeah, he had he had Jimmy quite a few times, actually. Well, this was the first time. This was the biggest house I'd ever seen in Fairfield. and basically, Okay, yeah, I was there. That was the cage match one, right? Uh, no, it was before that show. Okay. Um, it was be- it was before that show actually. Uh, the best match that night was Hudson Matthews and uh, Chris Hamrick in a triple threat match. Okay, I don't think I was there. Well, anyways, but Jimmy Jacobs wrestled. I want to say I think maybe it was Mike Bennett in the main event. I can't recall. I could look it up. But anyways, he he was just going through the motions. You know what I mean? Okay. And it was really, yeah. it was really frustrating because it's like, you know, I kind of came here to see you. I want to see what you can do, and like, there's 350 people crammed in here, and it's like he was just kind of putting in a half effort. And so it's like to me, like a lot of times when I go to like an indie show and I see a name on there, I don't, I used to not get all excited or get worked up. Like, okay, I'm gonna meet you, but I'm gonna watch you have your match, and you're, you're just like, and I understand there's 40 people, 50 people, 100 people in here, and you're just kind of going to get your shit in and be done. Yeah. And that was kind of my thought process. And then, like, I saw Zack Sabre Jr. against Chris Hero at Limitless in January of 2016. And it was just like, they tore it up for a half an hour. It was just crazy. Yeah. Could not believe, like, what they did and everything. And it's just like, this is the difference. Like, this... Yeah. This changed my point of view on a lot of things, like when it comes to like spending it's money. To... And, like, there's there's honestly a lot of different factors like that could go into something like that. Yeah. Jimmy Jacobs match, for instance, like, yeah. um, you know, Maine had a really bad stigma of wrestling. Like that was obvious, and I, I think even the fans like had an idea that that was a thing. Yeah. Um, a couple years ago. Yeah. But. There, there was just a really bad reputation behind main wrestling because of uh, whether it be bad business. And this is this is not just within, you know, the past five to 
10 years you know this is this is a while back and this oh, is yeah. numerous promoters numerous promotions like there was you know bad business uh low low crowds low money coming in um and then just uh, i don't know just a lot of stupid stuff went down so that it had a bad reputation so yeah um when you know guys who were in bigger spots would use like the main shows to try to fill up a weekend if need be um come down here get whatever for pay sell some merch uh and you know sometimes some guys would go through the motions and you could you could tell that was happening obviously uh but you know other circumstances could be uh you know the there's been some bad rings that have gone around the main circuit so yeah i've heard that one you know these guys in bigger positions don't want to damage their bodies in a shitty ring you know and i totally understand that but uh there's a lot of different circumstances that could go in is what I'm just trying to say because no, I, uh, I, I Jimmy Jacobs that. is a great guy, but I, I totally understand what you where you're coming from because I've seen the same thing happen. Yeah. Um, but that was the big thing is like throughout year one, it was a big feeling out process of like, you know, who, who can build this company with me? And then for bigger names, it's like, who's going to come in here and bust their ass and give me, you know, the match that, myself and the fans are expecting to see like i i think right now especially we have the best circulating roster of like really motivated individuals to give a great match every time which is like we're trying to build this platform to number one you know send the fans home happy and keep them coming back and number two give the wrestlers a platform where they can be creative with the match have a match they're proud of have a match they can send to other promotions to get booked other places um, and just kill it, honestly, as cliche as it sounds. No, I, I absolutely get it. I mean, like, I, I look at myself, like, I'm a very cheap person. So, like, I go to an indie show and I'm going to spend 10 bucks. Like you said, I'm looking for that one match. There's never been a, a Fed, an indie promotion in Maine, where I'm going to shell out $35 for a ticket before. Right, right. I think a lot of people uh, share the same sentiment. Yeah, but, like, you know, when you, like, for instance, this coming uh, Monday... May the 21st, when tickets go on sale for your next show, which is July 21st in Westbrook, you'll have $35 coming your way via PayPal instantly. <laughs> uh, yeah. No doubt about it. And I don't, I don't even know, like, you know, <laughs> what that entails as far as, you know, who the headliner is that you get the, the gimmick with or not. But still, like, I don't even hesitate. Like, I buy my son a $35 ticket, you know. And, yeah. yeah. So... Because I don't want to sit in the back. I want to be right up front, you know? Right. And I think that's, that's, I I had a lot of, like, I don't know, I I was weary about, you know, bumping ticket prices because I know, like, other than, big time wrestling is the only thing that's come to town other than WWE that has been, you know, priced higher than us. Right. Because I know they've done, like, the... They've done like the seventy-five dollar to one hundred dollar ticket packages. And, they did, yeah. Um, I remember one year they did like it was one hundred and twenty-five dollars. You got a front row ticket. You got you know stuff from the wrestlers there and everything. But yeah, yeah, it's like, I mean, almost always it's either the you know the twelve and ten, yeah, or the ten and eight, yeah, and like you just you I have to like think logically, like you know if we if we run every two months. And we produce the shows that we do. I think I think we're giving a fair price all Absolutely. around. But it took a lot to it took a lot to just you know 
get up the courage to say, you know, these are, these are what we're rolling with for ticket prices. Like, um, because you know, the norm has been always just different. So, and, and people do get used to that. They get used to that 10 and 12. Like I remember hearing some, cause you know, there's a core group of fans that go, that have gone that I like, I like, I've been going to indie wrestling in Maine since 1997. Okay. I, I've been hitting Fairfield for over 10 years. I've, I've seen a lot of the same people at every show. You know, I mean, that's how I met yeah. Ricky and Roy and yourself and everything, you know, before. Um, and there's 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 a group there that, like, you know, when IWE went to $15, they were like, are you serious? You know, and they, they lost their yeah. minds. And they, were go- they didn't go to a couple of shows because of it, to prove a point, quote-unquote, and everything. And, right. You know, and I remember when you presented, you know, you had Zack Sabre Jr. against Chris Hero, and I think I think the tickets were twelve bucks. Yeah, I think it was twelve and ten. Yeah, and I'm just like, I felt bad, like I felt guilty, like I'm only spending twelve dollars for this. This is crazy. Like, Mikey and I were talking <laughs> about that. I say Mikey lots, so our buddy Mikey. Uh, um, anyways, yeah, and I'm like, this is only twelve dollars. I cannot believe this. This is only twelve dollars. This is ridiculous. I felt guilty. Like I felt like I should give you more money uh, <laughs> <laughs> because of it. And you know, as like you were talking about when ticket prices went up and everything, it to me it wasn't a hesitation. It's like I know you're going to deliver. Like th- this this show is going to deliver. This is worth my money. This is not. I'm not going to wait around. You know. I mean, and if you think about it, you know your VIP's thirty five, your front row's twenty five, your general admission's fifteen. So I mean, there's. Ticket prices for everybody. Right, yeah, for sure. Um, sorry, got a little sidetracked there. No, no worries. Uh, anyways, just I want to go back in time a little bit. So you, you're ring announcing for IWE. You get hooked up, like you said, with uh, from Miyagi, yeah, from Miyagi through Connecticut, Tier One in New York and whatnot. And you said even like a year and a half before the Limitless show the first one you had started thinking about it what was it that made you think you know i can i can run a show i want to run a show so the real uh the real seller for me was i did a i bring it out to show in skowhegan at the skowhegan legion and it was like november of 14 and i you know i had already thought that i was going to do this you know the next year but it was just like like the worst show imaginable the locker room morale was horrible and just like everybody's back there like talking shit about everybody else on the show and yeah. i just like sat there and i realized like this is absolutely not what i want to do for you know a number of years moving forward um and i knew that you know by my experiences outside of the state that you know this was not how wrestling had to be yeah, and you... I just think it was a low, it was a low point in uh, in main wrestling at that point, and it was just I, I was just really not happy with where I was or where the state wrestling was, and I just think morale was totally down, like fans and wrestlers, every everybody. So uh, I went home that night and I just like kind of sat down and realized, you know, this is what I want to do and I want to implement it real soon and figure it all out. So that was November of 14. You rang your first show September of 15, correct? Yes. Okay. I had heard uh, some scuttlebutt when we went down to, uh, when I say we, when Roy and, and the Doors and I and Mikey went down to the Boston Pro Wrestling Marathon, I was, that was the first time I had heard from one of them was telling me, like, you know, oh, Randy's going to run shows. 
I'm like, Randy, the ring announcer for IWE? Like, oh, yeah, Randy's going to run some shows. Like, he's, you know, and you just, he's got plans and wait to, you know, wait to see what he wants to do and, and on and on and on. And I was just like, okay, well, you know, I'll, all right. I'm like, isn't he like 17 or 18 or something like that? Yeah, yeah he's going to run shows. And I'm just thinking, like, oh, that guy's got some balls. Because, again, like I said earlier, <laughs> you know, it, it takes a lot. And then, like, again, I'm used to hearing all about the carny side of the business, you know, the guys trying to screw over the promoters and work them for more more money. I mean, I remember there was one headliner in the WWE in the in the eighties, may have may have entered WrestleMania one year and he was working at a show in Lewiston and it was time for his match and he stopped and looked at the promoter, he goes, I want four hundred more dollars or I'm not walking out there. Wow. You know? And I was standing yeah. right there. Like, I was out back, and I was standing right there, and I heard that, and I was like, no shit. And so, like, that that has stayed with my mind. You know, I know not everyone's that way, but it's the possibility that it could have happened. And, of course, you know, the promoter's stuck. This is a TV taping. This has been advertised. There's people here to see this person, you know, and he needs to deliver. So, you know, the guy held him up, the promoter, and the promoter, you know, caved. And, like he literally waited till he got the four hundred dollars cash in his hand, stuck it in his trunks, and then he walked out the curtain, and then he wrestled two minute match and came back. Huh. And so in my mind, I think that, and I'm just like, that would—that's another concern that would raise my. Did that ever cross your mind at any point when you saw you're going to try to do this, or? No, uh, I, I mean, I'd heard stories of that, and uh, no, I mean, you when you work with like professionals yeah. you, you don't have to worry about any of that like uh there that is a side it, it's i think more now it's honestly promoters that try to fuck the workers honestly um i heard someone they, else saying that the other day actually i'm trying to think of what podcast yeah. i was listening to but they even said themselves it's like the boys aren't working the boys anymore it's the promoters that are or the boys aren't screwing the promoters anymore it's the promoters that are screwing the boys yeah um, I, I think that's legit because there's, I, I would say there's a lot more promotions that try to not e- either not pay or just not, you know, go through with a deal, so to yeah. speak. Um, whenever you have, basically whenever you have an agreement with someone, you live up to that agreement, right. you know, on both sides. Right. Um, and if there's an issue, you work through it, you know, the best that you can professionally. But if you're working with professionals, whether it's a professional promoter or a professional, like, wrestler or whatever, valet, uh, manager, referee, anything, there's going to be no issues like that. Um, that sounds like a horrible situation, obviously, that happened. Yeah. But uh, obviously, at that point, you're not working with a professional. So when you lined up your first show, uh, did you have any hiccups along the way? Before you finally actually got, uh, shit. <laughs> yeah, shit tons. Um, <laughs> uh, first of all, uh, I had to blow a lot of smoke to make everything kind of work because you. So we had we were supposed to be at the Sea Dog in Bangor originally, and this was the first hiccup was that um, they double booked on the date, and then they got a hold of me like two months beforehand, and they're like, hey. Uh, we double booked on this date, so we're going to have to move you from the 12th to the 19th. That's I'm like, uh, yeah, that's actually not going to work. <laughs> so um, I tried a lot of different buildings, and the big problem was that at the time, uh, you know, when I was trying to get buildings at first, I was 17, so it was real tough. 
Yeah. And then once I once I turned eighteen, which seems to be like the magic number. Yeah. Um, it started they can to be legally easier, but now. then correct. That's, uh, that's exactly it. That's kind of what it comes uh, down to. So, they can legally sue you now. You're not a juvenile. Yeah. So it got somewhat easier, but there was still like not a lot of things that were available. So we ended up getting city side to run the building in Brewer. Yeah. Um, and then there was just a lot of cancellations. Like other than this, like the first show, we've hardly, hardly had any cancellations. Like, um, you know, we, we've maybe had 10, 10 to 12 yeah. over the past, you know, year and a half other than that first show, which is exceptional. Um, but, yeah, I think we had, I want to say around five to seven cancellations, and that's within, like, two weeks of the show. Yeah. Um, so, but it ended up turning out, you know, for the best because, like, through all the cancellations, we ended up getting Anthony Green, who is now, you know, one of the one of our top talents in the company. I was about to um, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Uh I mean we had there was a lot of different matches booked, a lot of different talent booked that just, you know, weren't on that show and uh most of them who were actually booked and weren't on the show, like haven't we haven't used them again. So uh yeah. it, it's kinda of funny how it worked out. But yeah, we had a shit ton of cancellations on that first show. It was uh it was really hectic the days leading up to the show because of all the cancellations, but yeah. uh, we worked around it. Now, at any point while you were running up to that first show, did you just like, I mean, I'm sure there was some stress, but there was any point where you just said to yourself, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? I'm, you know, this is it. I'm not doing anything no. after this. No, like, uh, I didn't get that way until like this year. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that's, that's awesome. No, I was, uh, I was really like stoked about everything because uh, we had one of the best crowds in that building that had been there in a couple of years. Um, I've only been and, to that building once, and I always I always go to the Fairfield shows generally speaking because they usually yeah. IWE or whoever would run Fairfield and then Brewer. And I was always told, oh, you got to go to Brewer, got to go to Brewer. The Brewer shows are better. The Brewer shows, you know, like they're better. It's a bigger crowd. It's livelier. On and on and on. So finally, I made the trek up and I went to to, to a Brewer show. And I was like, I went to those same people and said, yeah, this is not what I was promised. And there was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what happened, but normally, but normally. So I've, I've never been back. Um, and, uh, and, and that's another thing for me, like, you know, when it comes to going to an indie show, I have to, I have to consider how far is it? Is it worth the drive? You know, like I'm not going right. to spend – you know, I'm not going to drive 80 miles one way if I'm if my only you know if my only hope is well there'll be one good match because that that's not worth it. Right. You know. Sorry. Go ahead. There used saying. to be. I mean, to give it the credit, like IWE has run some sick shows in Brewer. Like yeah. it's just, um, especially at that like that mark in 2015, it was very hit or miss because unfortunately, like uh, like I was saying earlier, I think they were at a low point because. They had a lot of talent who was not either not taking their bookings or yeah. booked already. Yeah. Um, like when I first started announcing at IWE, they were having some pretty solid shows because they had like uh, that that Canadian carload with Jeremy Prophet. They had the yeah either one or two House of Glory carloads. Yeah. Um, they I'll just say, had a lot of young guys who were hungry, oh, and yeah, then I, I mean, that kind of fizzled off within a year. I will say I have seen some great 
IW cards, eight great IW matches in the past, and you know, like when I when I've been to Fairfield and everything. So I mean, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So you get through your first show. And, you know, obviously you seem motivated about it. In your mind, are you already thinking about all right? When when are you going to run again? Or are you thinking? Yeah, well, I mean, we had already had the we had already had the next date, and next poster done. You know, to hand out at that show. Like uh, the big thing was that. I didn't want to run in the same town that IWE did yep. um, because I didn't want to kind of step on their toes with that. And right. I did get their blessing to run in Brewer before we contacted the building, which was, you know, that, that was good on their part. Um, but I didn't want to run in the same, which is why I tried to go to Bangor originally yep. because I didn't want to run in the same town that they did. So uh, we ended up running like about 20, 25 minutes down the road in Orono. Um, which is where we were actually going to move the show from Bangor to Orono, but the the Legion wasn't available. But uh, we pretty much, I mean, we we ran shows steady from from November 2015 to November 2016 at the Legion. Yep, I went up there half a dozen times, I think. Yeah. Shows. Um, I mean, so your first show, um, you had in Brewer. Second show, Orono. Your headliner was Tim Donst, right? Yep. Um, and then was the Saber show the third show? Yes. So how how and I just how did you line up Saber Junior? Because I mean that seems like a like an odd get really for yeah. our market so, our location. Um, the original main event for that show is Ace Romero and AR Fox. Yeah. Um, and I had no intention of really adding another big name to that show. And, uh, Drew Cordero from beyond hit me up. Uh, you know, we were, we were friendly at that point, but not like, uh, I consider us pretty good friends. Now we talk daily almost about just everything and anything wrestling. And we work together and it's been a very beneficial, you know, relationship, uh, between our businesses. But, uh, at that point we hadn't been working together yet and he hit me up and he's like, would you have any interest bringing in Zack Sabre Jr. for your January date? Because uh, I was on a Saturday, Beyond was on a Sunday, and then uh, he was uh, Sabre was staying in the States to do Evolve the next weekend, I believe. I think yeah. that was what it was. So um, Drew, you know, gave me the logistics of uh, like a price breakdown of what the flight would be. Uh, what everything would come to on my side of things. And yeah. uh, it was doable with our budget. So uh, I, I said, screw it. <laughs> and uh, we, we booked Zach Saber Jr. And uh, so then a couple days later, he's like, yo, would you want to run Chris Hero and Saber? I'm like, shit, <laughs> like, how would this work? <laughs> and, uh, and Hero also, uh, it was kind of the same situation. Like Hero is coming in. For the Beyond show uh, that Sunday, yeah. had nothing going on that Saturday, so uh, we did the same thing with Sabre. We figured out the logistics. We uh, put the flight and got Hero up here, and uh, it, was, it was pretty wild because, you know, within a matter of, I would say, seven days, we went from the main event being Fox and Romero to Sabre and Hero. Which is crazy because that's the main event, and I'm. This is not a cle- This is a cliche statement, but it's a factual statement in this case. That is literally a main event anywhere. Yeah, in the world. For real. I mean, like they have um, had, they have wrestled. You know, in PWG, they've wrestled in. You know, uh, the Evolve. 
uh, in, in the United Kingdom. I mean, all over the place. Those two guys have wrestled each other. And yeah, and I've watched uh, a couple of the previous matchups, and the the real neat thing about it is the match they had in Orno is so much different from the matches that they had elsewhere. Absolutely. But I would hold that match that they had in Orono side-by-side with you know the match I had watched not too long before that that they had in PWG. And yeah, the one they had after real. that. You know what I mean? And matches they've had involved. I mean, because those two guys, they, they go in there and they work. Do yeah. you think... I'm just free, you know, uh, freelancing on this one, but do you think that that match um, helped you getting to be able to book other guys because they saw? Yes, I think undoubtedly um, because the real cool thing, and I've heard it from so many different people, is uh, Chris Hero puts us over huge. Yes, and Chris Hero has actually like looked out for Limitless before. Like uh, there was a separate like someone had made a limitless wrestling email and was hitting up like workers Yep. and unbeknownst to me. So like hero hit me up and was like, Hey, this is happening. And I don't think it's you. Um, I'm like, no, you're right. Because he had my email, he had my number. So he had my contact information. So, um, it was cool that he was looking out for us there. And he, he hits me up every now and then gives me some suggestions on, you know, people to book and people to look out for. And just like, from numerous people that I've that I've booked, you know, throughout the past year and a half, like they yeah. just, uh, you know, after the show, they're like, man, you know, Chris Hero put this over, and uh, he's like, he was absolutely right, and it was it's real cool to hear that because uh, someone with Chris Hero's you know reputation in wrestling, uh, giving the good word about your promotion is great, oh, and uh, I also absolutely. have to like attribute Drew Cordero, who you know books a lot of the guys that we've come in contact with over the past, you know. I would say six to eight months has uh, really given a good word because, you know, obviously I, th- I think we've, you know, gone past it, but as we were saying earlier, Maine had a bad reputation. So yeah. people didn't know, you know, if they wanted to accept uh, a booking here or, or what to expect, but now it's, uh, I don't see that hindering us at all anymore because of, you know, the good word put in by numerous people. Is there anyone that you had like, contacted before about booking and they said no i'm all set but now they're reaching out to you or now you reach out to them again they're like absolutely you don't have to name names uh, not, not necessarily people like people would not say like no i'm all set but some people who i reached out to like early in 2016 um you know they might not have responded yeah. and now you know i am getting hit up by them which is funny, but it's like it's cool to know, you know, now now we're visible to pretty much, you know, whoever. So yeah, um, yeah, there were a few cases of that. Not too many though. Like a lot of guys would at least hit you back and say, you know, I- I'm booked on this date, but you know, we could set something up here. Um, yeah, most of them hit back, but some of them didn't. Now you kind of touched on it a little bit ago. You said that you know, like Chris Harrow is giving you some recommendations or guys to look out for this, that, or whatever. But like. How do you, like, find some of these people to bring in? Like, say, how do you find, like, you know, like Tyler Nitro? Or how do you find, like, some of the guys that you brought, like the guys from Chicago that you brought in back in March? Or, you know, when you brought in the House of Glory guys? I mean, like, what is it? How do you find someone that you see them and go, ooh, I haven't, like, like, there's some guys you brought in, like, I've never heard of. And then I'm like, these guys are amazing. Like, how do you find people like that? Um. Some of it's word of mouth, like a lot of a lot of guys 
Uh, one of the big ones is uh, Ace Romero. Uh, yeah. I talk to him. Another guy I talk to pretty much daily. Um, he will, you know, pretty much hit me up after a show that he works and say, uh, hey, I was just on the show. Like, this guy is real good. You should get him now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's, there's a few core guys that I really trust on that notion, like uh, uh, Anthony Green, Ace Romero, MSP. Um, these are dudes who are working, like, shows in the New England Northeast area. Yep. Um, they kind of give me the good word on what's going on. Uh, another big thing that helps is uh, – I go to the Beyond, like a lot of Beyond shows and a lot of Beyond secret shows, and I do commentary with Drew. Yep. And being able to being able to sit there, like I remember the secret show. I think it was November of last year. Um, there was something like twenty to twenty five matches, and a lot of people who I had never met, never heard of before, and uh, I got to watch them. Like a couple of them uh, have since made their limitless debut, like uh, Manny Martinez, who's wrestled on a couple shows, Mr. Yep. Grimm. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. This was the first time that I had seen any of these guys, so uh, it was real cool to be able to see them and meet them in that setting and see what they could do, and then you know later on figure out a spot for them. But uh, it's it's yeah, early on, it was a lot of people hitting me up and me checking out their work. And uh, to be honest, like the page gets hit up so much now that I maybe sift through it like twice a week. Like, there's literally probably uh, 20 to 30 messages every couple days on that page. So, the Limitless um, Wrestling it page. does get, yeah. yeah. So, it does get tough to sift through sometimes, but yeah. uh, a lot of it is word of mouth from like guys who work my shows or it's dudes who I see, you know, on like a Beyond or a Beyond Secret show, shows that I can attend and be able to sit back and kind of watch what they can do. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's just a lot of that now. I mean, I I do sift through the messages still. Like, that's how I found Anthony Henry. Uh, he was the guy who hit me up. Uh, he's gonna be back pretty soon. And then that's the same with the Chicago crew, the freelance guys. Yep. Uh, Matt Nix hit me up, sent me a lot of different footage. I had known of their guys already. So yeah, uh, I was really was impressed cool with those guys that came in from Chicago. They're very good. I think Craig Mitchell. Underrated in that in that match, I feel, but I saw him at Blitzkrieg uh, yeah. like two weeks ago. The dude is so good; it's stupid. Yeah, no, I mean, there's there's a bunch of guys like like I've never heard of before. Like I said, that you would bring in, like especially like the guys from Chicago, Mr. Grimm, you know, to to name a few. And like that's the fun of it. Like when um, you have like a core group of guys that you use that are there pretty much at every show, like the mainstay posse, Ace Romero, Anthony Green, you know, uh, Xavier Bell. You know, you have those guys that you're, you're, you know, Troy Nelson, whatever, uh, Jeremy Larry, um, your regulars, and then you bring in yeah. like you brought like the House of Glory guys are coming in for a while, and then you know like, you brought in the Chicago guys, and it sounds like they're coming back, and then you bring in like this show. Gosh, I don't know. Like between the last two shows, like I was jealous I couldn't go to the Portland show. Yeah. And you kept saying to me, "Oh no, the Portland, you know that this Westbrook show is the." the biggest you know the most stacked show you know i think i've ever had biggest card or whatever and i'm like i don't know that portland show is looking pretty awesome and then once the card was finalized for westbrook i was like oh yeah that's a hard one to hard one to debate (laughs) between the two Uh, of those um yeah the portland show is really cool like to touch on that for a minute Um, yeah it was really cool because uh you know it's it's the second kind of like last minute show that we've done like 
we we didn't we announced the Portland show like something like twenty five or twenty six days before it happened. Yep. Um, and you know the the other one that we ran last minute was the first Westbrook show in right. uh, October of last year, but it was cool because you know when you're in a situation like that, um, you can put together matches and book guys who you might not have been able to figure out a spot for on a Westbrook show, yeah. or you might not have been able to fit this match in with a Westbrook show. Um, and it was a, it was an unusual date, like end of the month. We usually run somewhere in the middle, usually. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we had a lot of guys have that date open, like a guy like Leo Rush, who we, we've been trying to set something up for for a long time. Yep. So... Uh, it was cool to be able to to figure out a lot of different matches we could do with new guys, and we had that eight man scramble who had a lot of different people in it and a lot of debuts. So uh, I really liked that show. It was really fun. So is your is your premise basically to one Westbrook, run Westbrook every other month like you are, and then <clears throat> do shows in between elsewhere? Or? Yeah, um, I think. Through at least the rest of this year, it's probably going to be Westbrook every month and a half, two months. Yeah. Um, the goal is to have another Portland show by the end of the year. Um, it's probably not going to happen through the summer. I'm probably shooting for early October. Yeah. Um, but uh, nothing's set right now. But I would like to go back to the Portland Club. I really like that venue. Nice. Um, uh, the Portland Elks Lodge has also expressed some interest lately. Um, I would like to get to the Port City Music Hall. Uh, it's very tough to find the right person to speak to about that information. But um, regardless, I would like to get to Portland again by the end of the year. So, uh, But, I mean, I really want to hit some festivals this year. I'd love to bring them to some kind of neat festival. Like, you mean like the Yarmouth Clam Festival or like a music festival? I don't know. I'd, I'd bring wrestling to a clam festival if I wanted it. <laughs> are you gonna Are you gonna hit the fair circuit? Uh, probably not the fair circuit, but yep. uh, I've hit up a couple music festivals to see what's up. Uh, I did have something that's being planned out for early July in Bangor hit me up recently, so I'm not sure if that's actually going to come to fruition. But that'd be something neat. Are you? I, I know it's coming up here in a couple weeks, but you don't have anything planned with the Bangor Toy and Com. Banger Toy and Comic Con, right? I don't. Uh, we did originally, and I'll just I'll tell the story. Um, we uh, <clears throat> we were originally told um, not by the owner, but by an em- employee of the con that we were going to have a space on the floor, similar to what IWE had a couple years back. Yep. Um, we're gonna have a space on the floor, or we're gonna be put in one of the back rooms of the cross center and I said whatever you know I just wanted to be on the premises not off the premises like right. I, don't, I don't you know it wouldn't work that way for us at least right um, so then uh, I talked to the owner on the phone and he's like yeah man he's like uh, I don't know I'm not gonna tell the person's name but he's like I don't know what that person was thinking but like we weren't given clearance to have a ring you know it, it was either I think it was a big thing because of insurance reasons yep. but um, they weren't allowed to have the ring or the show at the cross center, which I understood. I just wish, you know, we hadn't been given that false info Yeah. because, you know, that kind of messed us up, you know, booking wise with people and what we were planning out. But 
Um, I did look into a show, you know, off the premises on that night. Yeah. Um, it just wasn't doable anywhere, you know, within the area. So, uh, that is not happening, unfortunately, but, uh, it looks like next year, uh, we're going to figure out something better. Uh, I know he was, he was really, uh, Chris from the con is really pushing for us to be able to be on the floor, figure something out for us, but which was, you know, really cool of him because we like working with the con. Um, but hopefully next year. Now, I know we jump around a lot, but this is just as things are coming to me. When you're when you're setting up a show, I mean, there's a lot more to than just you got to book talent, you got to get a ring. You know, there's a lot of logistics behind that. And like, as far as like, I just I, I don't know how how long have you had the set, the entranceway set? I noticed it at the this the last show here last weekend, and I'm We've like, had that looks kind of new. <laughs> Yeah, we've had two different sets. Um, we had one that we used in January, and then uh, yeah. we've had this new one since March. Okay, all right. So, like, is that something like you're like, well, I'm going to start kind of bare bones-ish, and then as things go along, where I'm going to try and grow in these other areas, like, you know, the music, um, like you said, the sets. Um, like, how do you decide who's going to do the commentary for the matches? Cause I know you switch it up a little <clears throat> So, um, for like set stuff first, um, we kind of go piece by piece. Like we started originally, um, I bought two cameras and I bought, um, a small entranceway and lights and that's what we were rolling with for a while. And then, um, you know, I, I think we, we took a big step up this year. Like, I think we took a step up hugely, like all around like not just the shows but production like everything we were doing so i felt like we had to get a little bit of a better entrance so yeah um that's why we rolled with that um i don't think an entrance is a huge deal but uh it does look better on camera so um but uh yeah i mean we've we've had a lot of the same equipment from day one like the music stuff all still the same uh we still do have our cameras but we do have uh tanya who does our work now thank god she does a great um, job Tanya's, <clears throat> she's the best she's absolutely the best i um, uh, i was talking uh, but, about this to her a couple shows ago when i was like i said well, do you realize i've been I, I first bought tapes off you like 18 years ago and she was like yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's funny yeah um for commentary um it's honestly the best when uh when cordera's there so i can have him be the set guy there and yeah. then I can I make a list of like if, if I have him there I have a list that's him and whatever wrestler Yeah. and usually that wrestler always forgets that they have to be on commentary <laughs> so um, luckily he'll be there and he'll run to the back and either find them or find somebody different um, on shows where he's not there uh, I make a list that's two wrestlers and yeah. usually they never remember to be there so um it's it's always a mad dash to find the right person to get on commentary, but um, usually it does work out. Uh, if I can help it, like I try to have Troy Nelson do a bunch of matches See, because I, I love his commentary. I, I was gonna say I love his commentary. He is he's excellent. There's there's surprisingly like a lot of wrestlers who are very good on commentary. Like uh, Brian Malonis is great on commentary. Anthony Green great on commentary. 
uh, Brian Fury when we had him. Yeah. Donovan Dijak, depending on what style of commentary you like, Donovan Dijak, great on commentary. Oh, God. I, um, I'm, he says, like, uh, <laughs> good Lord in heaven, like – it's nuts. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of good uh, commentators back there. I just think it's fun to have uh, either one or two wrestlers on commentary. Yeah. And uh, actually, uh, we had Luke Robinson on commentary for our Portland show. And uh, I haven't heard, actually heard the commentary yet, but all the reviews from everybody who commentated with him said he's absolutely great. So, oh, that's awesome. Um, I think we'll, uh, we'll see him around the commentary booth more often. That's awesome. That's real good. Um, I've been going about an hour now. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I, just, I do want to address one thing in particular. Uh, so most yeah, recently, anyway. problematic. Yeah. I, I got to say, it's definitely one of your best cards that I've been to top to bottom. Um, you got a kid in Anthony Green, and he's just he's, he's hitting it all, all cylinders everywhere he goes, right? Yeah. Um, but like him and Paul London was phenomenal. Flip Gorn against Brian Cage was was a great way to open the show. I brought my cousin Johnny to the show, and he uh, he's not a wrestling fan. Uh, he wanted to go because Colt Cabana was there, and I had showed him some like worst promo ever and the Wrestling Road Diaries and everything. So he went for that. And after the first match, the Brian Cage and Flip, he turned to me and he goes. He's just like, holy shit, that's how it starts? Like, <laughs> And then at intermission, he goes to me, wait, does this mean this is only halfway over? And I go, yeah, basically it's halfway over. And he's like, I'm exhausted already. Like, how do you go to all, how do you go to all these shows? And I'm just, <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious. But um, the main event, the fans bring the weapons match. I've talk, oh, yeah. I'm talking to somebody's about this. I have seen a lot of fans bring the weapons matches, and I've seen fans yeah. bring a litany of different things. But I've seen them bring barbed wire and thumbtacks and light tubes before, and they've never been used. And I remember standing in line before the show and seeing some fans outside, and they had you know light tubes or whatever, and I was just thinking to myself, like, they're never going to use those. Why are you even bothering to bring them? I mean, it, it just seems ridiculous to me. And then the match starts. And uh, first of all, I've never seen so many weapons brought to a fans bring the weapons match. Like, so yeah, much stuff. Either. That was crazy. I, and I loved how you had everything at the table when they walked through. Here, set it down at the table oh, and yeah. whatnot. But when all the light tubes started coming to the ring, I was just like, holy shit, they might actually use those. Were, did, yeah. did you know what they were going to do? I uh, I did give them the go ahead. Um, I talked to the building. Uh, I looked through our insurance, and uh, the big thing was that all the glass was to be kept in the ring. But I did give them the go ahead. Yeah. Um, I did not expect uh, the glass to fly like it did the first time. Yep. Um, you know, if I <clears throat> and I, you know, the, the biggest thing on that was to protect the fans right. and. That's why we had the the slew of security at ringside. Oh no, that was um, yeah. But uh, you know, if I had known that the glass was going to fly like that, we would have pushed him back further. Um, because I think some people did get hit with it in the first row. Um, but yeah, I mean, we tried to protect the fans the best we could. You know, this is 
we don't run many weapons matches, as you know. Like we, no. we've done two fans in the weapons matches and one anything goes match, and that's it in a year and a half. Right. But um, so we, and when I saw what everyone was bringing in, you know, we just we were trying to protect everybody the best we could, and I, I think I think we were a little underprepared, or uh, I was a little unknowing of what was going to happen and what was really going to transpire, but. Yeah. Um, they did have the go ahead. I did tell them that glass, like they could use that. What was brought? The um, the 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 light tube log cabin. I'm gonna call that the thing that they set on the table. Did <laughs> yeah. a fan actually make that and bring that, or was that a housemate yeah. item? Oh yeah. No, they 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 made that actually. Like they hit me up. Uh, it was a group of guys, and they hit me up, and they're yep. like, "Yo, man, like we wanna we wanna make something like a structure, like." Our, our light tubes okay and i'm like yeah like go for it and uh i remember it was uh it was probably like four in the afternoon they were uh out front of the building putting that thing together um <laughs> so that was that was nuts That's, uh, it's you know I, I i haven't seen a lot of matches i'm gonna call it a death match or a hardcore match whatever you call it i haven't seen a lot of those live i've seen a lot on film by any means but yeah as far as live i mean i, I haven't seen a handful and, uh, like, I was in the front row on the opposite of the hard camera, and there was a row behind me, and I think they were Ace's friends. And the first time that Ace used the light tubes on Fox, Fox's shoulder got busted open, he was bleeding, and he kind of came over to our side of the ring, you know, and, and whatnot. And one of the guys behind me goes, holy shit, he's actually bleeding. And I turned and looked at him, and I said, <laughs> well, yeah, he just got hit with a like eight light tubes, they were in a like a yeah. triangle or whatever, you know, taped together. I'm like, you just got hit with eight light, like eight light tube bulbs. I mean, right. they're glass. What what do you think's gonna happen? Yeah. He just goes like, but he's he's actually bleeding. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, he, yeah. What what do you, I mean? What what do you expect? And it was just it was funny <laughs> to me because like I watched in this guy's eyes the realization of like, holy shit, like. That this is that's actually that actually just happened like <laughs> yeah completely yeah, blew think, his mind. Uh, I think his whole group like he had a lot of friends there. I think yep. they were uh, they were legitimately concerned by the end of it. But it, it really I think it transformed yep. their their belief of what professional wrestling was, which is uh, which is a very cool thing that happened. Even though despite Ace's back getting carved. I think it transformed their belief of, of what pro wrestling is, which is a very cool thing to happen. No, and, and it really is. And it's just, it's, it was just funny to me. I was, I was talking to, um, I always bring a van load when we come down. So I was talking to them on the ride back and it, I, I brought that up to them. It's just like, you know, it's almost like in his mind, he's like, oh, I'm here having fun, drinking a couple of beers. Like, you know, this is, this is great. This is very entertaining and this and that, but you know, it's, it's, professional wrestling it's predetermined right. you know, it, it is what it is and then all of a sudden he sees like his friend and now his opponent his friend's opponent and everything sees them both bleeding like the hard way or whatever you want to call it from from these weapons and everything and he was just like i didn't think this actually happened like right i don't know i i found it hilarious i thought it was an awesome realization um <laughs> i it's, it's pro wrestling it's awesome yeah, I agree. So, anyhow, cool. Well, Randy, I appreciate you uh, chatting with me this morning. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I had a good time. And uh, I'd love to do this again sometime.
For sure. Me too. And uh, before we go, yeah, do you want to pl- plug anything? Any of your social yeah. medias and whatnot? Um, yeah, if you are if you want any info on Limitless Wrestling, go to facebook.com slash Limitless Wrestling, uh, at LWMain on Twitter, at Limitless Wrestling on Instagram, youtube.com slash Limitless Wrestling, or LimitlessWrestling.com. Uh, by the end of the, of the day today, is this going up? When is this going up? Uh, I'm going to send it off to the guy that puts it up, and he'll either have it up tonight okay. or tomorrow morning. Okay. Well, regardless, by the time this comes out, uh, the VIP information for our show on July 21st in Westbrook will be available for you on LimitlessWrestling.com. Plus, uh, Hysteria on DVD will be available online, LimitlessWrestling.com slash DVDs. Uh, and then Friday, July 21st, we're back in Westbrook uh, for Nothing Gold Can Stay. Tickets go on sale Monday at 7 p.m. Uh, $35 VIP, $25 front row, $15 general admission, featuring the Extreme Luchador, Super Crazy, Lucha Underground's Ray Phoenix, A.R. Fox, Ace Romero, Anthony Green, Maxwell Jacob Friedman, and uh, a lot more. Awesome. And real quick, how do you come up with your show names? Oh, I I have no idea, man. <laughs> this is literally the worst thing about booking these shows is like, I'll sit there like a week before we have to announce the show. Like, what the fuck am I going to name this show? <laughs> um, but uh, I try to relate it. Like a lot of it I get from, from music. Like a stereo is uh, extremely based on Def Leppard. Right. Um, yeah. I just, I get them from music or, or something. And I try to relate the titles with things that are going to like, transpire with the matches on the show so well no drop kicks in the living room was my favorite name to date so (laughs) i love that one (laughs) awesome well thanks randy thank you